0: This is Noah Kadner, and you're listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Darren Hendler is director of the Digital Human Group for Digital Domain, the visual effects studio founded by director James Cameron. His team is responsible for some of the most iconic digital characters in cinema. These include Thanos from The Avengers... The Beast from Beauty and the Beast, and Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean. Handler first discovered his interest in digital humans through a tangentially related subject during college in his native country of South Africa.
1: I was studying electrical engineering because I really wanted to build robots and I loved robotics. And while I was at university, I saw my first 3D graphics and 2D morphing and it changed my life so you can morph one person into somebody else, or these, I think something of were like fractal terrain builders and things, where you were generating these artificial worlds and things like that on a computer. I was just completely blown away and decided that's really what I wanted to do.
0: Handler's University didn't offer courses in computer graphics, but that didn't stop him from pursuing his interests anyway.
1: I slowly started shifting more and more into that realm, doing more and more work at home on my own, doing little animations, creating 3D graphics, building lots and lots of fong shaded toruses at home. I slowly moved into commercials, especially on creatures and characters, that's an area that I've always really really loved doing. A lot of the work I started with originally was in commercials in South Africa, And from there, I moved to London to work in the commercial industry there and work on game cinematics and eventually found my way over to the United States to Digital Domain.
0: Handler found plenty of challenges working with digital characters for nearly 20 years at Digital Domain. Lately, he's been at the forefront of the studio's real-time animation efforts, which has reminded him of his earlier work with game cinematics.
1: Things very much have changed a lot since then in what's possible to do for like game cinematics and the quality level and the disparity between what you're seeing on feature films to what you're seeing in game cinematics and even in some cases in game. That's changing dramatically and that's been a really interesting thing for me to see this sort of shift and shift back of a lot of the industry. A lot of people that have always been working in film-based visual effects moving back and across into more real-time applications as well.
0: Hendler's day-to-day work includes intensive research into new technologies to create more realistic digital characters and thrill audiences with visuals they've never experienced before.
1: So we're building digital human technologies for our film releases. This could be new technologies for facial capture, new technologies in skin rendering, muscle and skin deformation, but we're also developing technologies for real time too. Could we use this on a game or a game cinematic or in engine or could we use this for virtual production? We're doing a lot of work now with neural based rendering, things like deep fakes and all of that world of things as well this whole package of digital human technology now is becoming sort of really sought after, not just in visual effects and not just in games too, but also in sort of other tech applications as well. Building autonomous humans and things like that require a realistic digital human. And so we try and keep an eye to all of them simultaneously and do development that really sort of helps advance our digital humans across all these different platforms.
0: Digital Domain adopted a hybrid approach to create increasingly complex and next-generation imaging techniques, combining elements of software development and filmmaking.
1: It's very, very important to make sure that you've got several different people involved in that. And so a great example of this could be facial capture, right? So we've got software engineers working on, like, how do I turn these images into 3D facial expressions accurately? But you also want a rigor to sort of be there defining, well, how would I actually use this? And at what point does this become usable to me? and an animator simultaneously saying, well, yes, I would use this at this point, or no, this is not nearly good enough, and a facial modeler to say, these expressions coming through are being warped and distorted and not working. And so all of our teams are this sort of hybrid conglomeration of different people where everyone's communicating constantly together, all of them tasked with solving that same problem. And that has been game-changing in many ways in what we've been able to do in that collaboration. Often we see these teams spinning off on wild new ideas that we never really expected and coming up with their own things, but together as this team of people. Also really beneficial to that is that at the end, it's not then our software teams, our research teams trying to enforce the technology on people that don't want it. This has been co-developed with the teams that are going to be using it and specifically the people on the ground that are going to be ushering this into production.
0: As an example, Hendler points to the massive amount of work performed on Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. I know what it's like to lose. Feel so desperately that you're right. Yet to fail nonetheless.
1: We were responsible for creating Thanos for a large number of shots. Between those two movies, it was both us and Weta Digital that were involved in creating Thanos. And we had a split between the different shot work. Taking Josh Brolin's performances, really specifically his facial performances, and being able to transform them onto this character, this character that you were seeing in screen that needed to be believable as Thanos. So we're taking Josh Brolin's body motions, we're taking his facial capture, we're transforming that into a realistic-looking Thanos that's moving and emoting. We're still going to be animating on top of that. We're still going to be doing work there. I mean, all of the visual effects work and the technology we bring to visual effects really helps push us forward faster. But there is also still always this huge artistic component. The key to this, though, is what we really try and do is try and set up our artists to a better state, that they've delivered something that they can now start really refining the details on there. Sometimes it gets quite sensitive where we're recreating an actor for certain shots or uh, transforming a stunt version of themselves into themselves for different stunt work or even just adding in new shots into a movie. But we do a huge variety of this work.
0: Digital Domain's ongoing research efforts often pay off in new approaches to common effects techniques, resulting in greater creative freedom for filmmakers and actors.
1: For many shows, we've been using a seated facial capture system to drive the characters. An example of this would be Beauty and the Beast.
0: Good thinking, Cogsworth. What? That's
1: the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. We would have our actor in a seated capture booth, and we'd be capturing their facial performance. Separately to their body performance and separately to their play performance. Dan was in a motion capture suit on stilts to make him as tall as the Beast would be, so that Emma was always playing to somebody who was as big as the Beast. We would then use the capture of the actor's face and then use that to drive the creature's face. But that whole system doesn't work great. Yes, we can get pretty good data for the actor's face from the seated capture, but the actor's never really delivering their best performance. Generally, their best performance happens when they're live on set with the other actors, they've got their right timings, they're delivering the lines of dialogue, and that's really the performance you want. And so we had been developing technology to use a helmet camera, an actor with markers on their face, and not just using those markers to create a solve to a facial rig, but actually generating very dense point cloud of the actor's moving face. So we can actually capture all the nuance and subtlety from their performance, but while they were live on set with other actors. And so we had done several proof of concepts of this technology. And as we were busy talking to Marvel for Avengers Infinity War, we were showing them what this vision would look like. The kinds of performances we could get from the actor instead of having to do it post and being able to capture them live on set and what they would look like. And they got very, very excited about that technology because the problem is before that, especially with a lot of virtual production we were doing, we'd send our actors onto set doing all of their capture, facial capture, body capture. Maybe they've seen some concept art of what the character is gonna look like. Maybe they've seen a little bit reprievers of, of what it's going to look like but they're really somewhat blind it's really hard for everyone to tell what it's going to look like and the more upfront you can see what that final result is going to be the better the performance is the more tools you've given the actor to be able to produce a truly great performance
0: for hendler the challenge to creating believable digital humans lies in the fact that all of us as humans are very used to looking closely at other people's faces
1: We are genetically attuned to this because it's a survival mechanism. Is this person here to hurt me or help me? It's truly amazing what you can get away with on the body, hands, all sorts of other areas that you don't have to take that same level of realism, but the moment you miss something on the face, everyone can tell. And that's doubly difficult because more recently, it's become quite easy to create a single frame of a photoreal face. It's something we do all the time. Here's our actor, we've scanned them, we've done a rendering of them, we're putting it side by side with a real actor and you can't tell the difference. The tricky part now it becomes as you make it move. There are so many things going on in the human face that we pick up on, and this has been a lot of our research in mapping things like subdermal blood flow and all of the pore structure and wrinkle structure changes that go on on a face, and that affects the way your face is shaded and really can affect the subtlety of how you read a performance. What's also interesting too is that you know even on a character like Thanos, it's easier in a way because no one's ever seen a real life Thanos before. Dread it. Run from it.
0: Destiny arrives all the same. It
1: needs to look good and the performance needs to be conveyed correctly, but there's a lot you can get away with. As we bring these characters closer and closer to the human realm, it becomes harder and harder.
0: Breakthroughs in artificial intelligence and image processing algorithms are also impacting how digital domain recreates humans.
1: There's this whole world of neural rendering tied to areas like fake. What we're starting to do is starting to use a combination of CG and real imagery of an actor. You're basically teaching this neural network what is a realistic version of this person almost as if you're training up a painter. Imagine you had a person that was a fine artist who was able to paint faces realistically. Imagine they spent 10,000 years learning how to paint one person's face from different angles and different lighting conditions. And they were just so attuned to what makes this specific person's face look real and move realistically. And so we're starting to build these type of networks now that we can take CG that's maybe not all the way there, and put it through these deep learned networks where we can then further refine and tune it. So what comes out in the end is something that looks more realistic to that person or more realistic to a human. And this is helping us push that much further because trying to figure out and correct and fix every little detail in CG to make a human face look fully real is extremely, extremely tricky. And some of these new techniques in neural rendering are really opening up brand new doors, allowing us to do this much faster and much quicker than we were ever able to do it before.
0: As with the entire world, the COVID-19 pandemic forced digital domain to switch to a remote workflow and alter how it approached tasks like stage work and motion capture. But according to Hendler, these challenges also led to significant changes to their process which aren't likely to ever completely go back to the way things were done before.
1: We've had productions where we've had the director in a completely different country the art director in another country completely as well, and different members of the team in completely different locations. So we have these systems where we're able to stream multiple 4K feeds of all the different aspects of the production. So people are able to sort of direct things, see what's going on. We have large screens for our directors and others that are important that the actors can walk up to and talk to them. Directors can see the views through many different cameras simultaneously, views of the helmet cameras as well. It's all worked remarkably well. Now we're never gonna to the point where we just have actors and no one else on the stage, we still need a lot of people there with them. We've really been able to cut down a lot of the crew size and everything."
0: Looking to the future, Handler sees the rise of real-time animation tools playing a critical role in the way actors and their digital avatars interact.
1: Ideally, what we want to do is to be able to have a live onset representation of this is what that result is going to look like. So that everybody's able to judge that, the actor's able to tune and adjust their performance and make it more of their own and make it fit more to what the filmmaker's vision is. We want the actor to feel natural. They're playing a character that's going to have different proportions and things like that. We really want a natural performance. The more the performance becomes awkward or uneasy, the more that always translates through to the motion. You really want to get more of the subtlety to really bring out the nuance of a character.
0: Epic recently released MetaHumans, a tool that enables the creation of highly realistic and easily poseable human characters. MetaHumans are high-fidelity digital characters created by you, the user. Handler sees plenty of uses for MetaHumans.
1: If I've got several different digital characters I need in the background or something like that, I can generate them really quickly and easily. This definitely gives you a very, very quick and immediate leg up. One thing we're also very excited about is we're developing some newer facial capture technologies that would work straight from a webcam or a single camera or an iPhone, looking at how some of that retargets to meta-humans. Because at that stage, I think things become very game-changing. When we can have any animator or any uh, game content producer at home suddenly just start recording material they want with their webcam and transferring that into realistic facial performance on a digital human or digital character, Or I have my actor at home, just live broadcasting material to me and I'm going to use that directly in the movie because I'm able to get very accurate, articulate capture for their faces and everything. And so this is this whole new realm of these technologies, all very tied to machine learning, deep learning. These same technologies are going to be used for virtual production. Okay, here's my actor, I've got a camera focused on my actor's face and suddenly I'm producing a realistic performance that we can actually look at and judge how that's going to translate onto my character, onto my human or so on. No
0: discussion of digital humans would be complete without deepfakes, where footage of one actor's face is completely replaced with a different actor's face.
1: It's an advanced form of artificial intelligence, which can be used to manipulate faces and voices.
0: In Handler's view, the technology brings not only great power, but also great responsibility.
1: Deepfake, or what we call neural rendering, is gonna change the way we do production. At Digital Domain, we already are very invested in that technology and our own versions of all of those technologies as well. You're transforming one person's face into a different person's face, immediately that performance comes through so accurately. And that is something that's so hard to do in CG. What you've seen on the web from a lot of deepfakes that's been very limiting is that you're just transforming just the faceplate but that doesn't make up a whole human. And so you're pasting one person's face onto another. And it works really, really well if you've got two people that got the same head proportions and face proportions and really, really badly if they don't. But we've been able to do full head transformations too, where we're actually sort of completely modifying one person's head into another person's head with this technology.
0: Digital Domain also found ways to apply deep fake and neural rendering types of technologies into de-aging, which has always been challenging to accomplish.
1: We recently did a PSA for Malaria No More, where we took David Beckham and aged him 30 years. We have defeated humankind's oldest and deadliest enemy, a disease that has killed billions. We're capturing David Beckham's performance, but we're also capturing another standard in a different age. We're able to use this technology to say, keep David's face shape, keep David's performance, keep David's underlying anatomy but let's use the dynamics and skin detail of this older person to this age level. And that's amazing. We worked on um, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button.
0: What's it like growing younger? I can't really say. I'm always looking out my own
1: eyes. And that took us years and years to age Brad Pitt in CG. With this technology, we were able to do this, and I think we had like three to four weeks to do this production. We were able to turn that around so quickly. Because everything is
0: evolving so rapidly, Handler is always looking to the more profound implications of the
1: technology. All of these things are brand new doors that are being opened up. Now, as far as the ethical considerations of all of this, we've always been able to create a digital actor. But the tricky part to any performance is the performance, the actor behind it. And so we see really a lot of these technologies as way more of a tool for actors than something that they should be afraid of. An actor can play younger versions of themselves.
0: Benjamin Button, this is my husband. My pleasure.
1: Before there was much harder or a stand-in would be doing it, but now the actor could be doing it. And so there are so many instances of this technology where this technology becomes a tool for telling better stories and less about, oh, I'm creating an artificial person, because you can create something, but the performance behind it has to come from an actor. It has to be driven from an actor's performance. And in order for it to be something people want to watch, it has to be a truly good performance behind it.
0: After thinking about and working with digital humans for so long, Handler also envisions their potential far beyond entertainment.
1: So we see applications of digital human technology everywhere in your own home. I imagine at some point, everyone's gonna have an assistant that has a face that you see on a variety of different screens in your house that you can talk to and looks realistic and have a conversation with, ask for facts or details or change the temperature of your house. We're also currently building autonomous humans as well to sort of help people in a wide variety of different applications, right? It could be a medical interview to get facts and things before you meet the doctor. It could be helping you and assisting you with technical problems related to Internet. And what we're seeing is that there's a much greater engagement with people. Instead of just chatting to a chatbot or some entity, actually being able to engage and talk to somebody who's going to talk to you that feels more realistic, even if there is an artificial chatbot engine behind it. And of course,
0: since we're talking about game engine technologies, there are plenty of potential uses for digital humans in video games and in live music experiences.
1: We've seen game engines advance to such a huge state that people are demanding more and more realistic humans in games, performances the same level of what we're seeing in feature films, but delivered on game characters. If
0: you can hear this, you are our last line of defense.
1: We're currently doing a lot of that work now, too, for some next-generation games, delivering sort of millions and millions of frames of articulate, realistic face and body capture, real-time concerts of people that are no longer here, where you've got a live actor that's playing a version of a singer. He brought the late rap legend Tupac Shakur on stage in virtual form for a live original performance. Generally, all these things we do with the permission of the family and working with key members of the family to do it. But this is, again, another thing that people are really interested in doing. And we've seen versions of these that are pre-recorded, right? we've captured somebody and six months later, we're able to produce it. But these would be live. Somebody's behind the stage talking live to the audience as if there was somebody else.
0: Handler also sees new areas of virtual production that AI and digital humans
1: can enhance. The possibilities are profound. Now, we haven't really cracked this yet, but the idea where I can have the directors busy filming actors on a performance capture stage on a volume, the actors are maybe not wearing any gear at all and we're just using witness cameras to calculate their body motion and their facial performance, and the director is able to see on a screen versions of his characters, or the different digital humans that they're playing, live and their performances and things and really getting a sense of how everything looks all together. There'll be a lot less left up to the imagination. We'll know a lot more as we're busy filming it. But we do have some big hurdles on that side, especially the virtual production side to overcome before we're really at that point. But what I'm able to see live is so meaningful. I can make a lot of judgment calls on the performance and everything. To me, just one of the most interesting things about this entire journey on digital humans is how much this has evolved out of something for feature films, to something for games, to something for your iPhone, to your home, to your artificial assistant. And so it's all tied together. It's all the same technologies, same kinds of scanning, the same things. But it's moving so far beyond and out of the visual effects realm.
0: listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Thanks again to my guest Darren Hendler from Digital Domain for joining us. This episode was written and hosted by me, Noah Kadner. This episode was edited and mixed by Corey Abel. The Virtual Production Podcast is a co-production of The Virtual Company and Abel Cine. We love virtual production and would also love to work with you. So please visit our websites and drop us a line if we can help. You can find us at ablesine.com and thevirtual.co. This podcast also wouldn't be possible without Descript, the most fun you'll ever have editing audio as text. Try it now at descript.com. Please also let us know if there's a subject or a guest you want us to have on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review, subscribing, and telling all your friends about us. Thanks again, and see you next time.